welcome to the Brown Girl Rising podcast. I'm your host Urvashi, aka Ursh, and I'm here to raise the vibration of the Brown Girl Collective by sharing stories of incredible brown women across the world. Women who've been through trauma, smashed through glass ceilings, and women who have climbed mountains to change their lives and be of service to others, in hopes that you are inspired in your own life. So, let's dig in. Hey guys, welcome back to Brown Girl Rising. Today I have an extremely special guest with me. I've got Misha Patel. She is a single parent to two beautiful boys, a narcissistic abuse survivor, a certified narcissistic abuse and somatic trauma specialist and brain spotting practitioner. I remember the first time I met her and she told me about brain spotting, I was blown away. So Misha's passion lies in supporting individuals from all corners of the globe who have experienced narcissistic abuse and trauma and guide them towards healing and empowering them to thrive. She's on a mission to break the stigma around mental health and raise awareness that mental health matters. Having recognized the stigma was causing others, especially those with cultural conditioning like our brown girls, to suffer in silence like she once did. She pivoted her business to provide a safe space to share experiences and heal. I'm really, really excited to speak to you about everything you do today. So welcome to the Brown Girl Rising podcast, Misha. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I just loved your energy when I met you. And I was like, I just want to be around her. And the universe answered my question. And I know. I've seen you so many times recently. I just love your energy. I know, right? So we met when in June for the first time, didn't we? At the CEO day. And now it's like every month it's like, hi, Misha, hi, Misha. (laughs) like everywhere we go (laughs) I love your energy too my darling honestly it's been such a pleasure having you in my life for three months and I'm sure it's going to last three years three you know three decades and beyond so listen Misha the first question I always ask my guests and I'm going to ask it to you is what does it mean to you to be unlimited so for me I think being unlimited is building a resilience that allows me to just be my true authentic self you know living my life in self-leadership, being able to be the person I was born to be, living in alignment with what's at my core and just not caring what society or others think of me. I think so much has been instilled that causes us to live out of alignment. And then we lose our ability to be unlimited. But actually I feel like everyone has that power when they step into alignment with who they are Mm. to live their life unlimitedly. That's beautiful. So it's like actually living your purpose and not caring about other people's opinions, because actually when you live your purpose, you are in your alignment, your body's in a good place, your mind's in a good place and everything just like, I mean, you become a manifesting queen when you live in alignment, don't you? So when you're unlimited, so. 100%. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. Okay. So I want to talk about um, kind of you're a trauma specialist you're a coach that deals with trauma and obviously specifically with narcissistic abuse so can I just ask kind of how did you become this coach like what was the why that direction so my interest has always been in I guess supporting others which is why I did a psychology degree and that was always what I had wanted to do um but then I got married um had kids 
went through a divorce and ended up feeling just completely broken in my 30s. And at this point in my life, I wanted to know how this had happened to me. Mm. You know, how did I lose myself so much? How did I not recognize the person that I was? And how was I so off track of what I wanted to do? I let go of my dreams. Um, I let go of the person that I wanted to be. I wasn't able to find myself. I couldn't even mm. pick like nail varnish color. I'm like, wow. how am I so reliant on other people to make decisions for me? So when I went on this journey, I discovered that actually I had experienced narcissistic abuse and it had stemmed from as young as four years old. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There was memories that came back to me of a friend who um, everything had to be about her and she always made me feel like I wasn't good enough. And that was the feeling that I was feeling after everything I'd been through in my adulthood. So when I started to explore this, I went on this healing journey. Um, I mean, I always say that healing is not a destination. We're forever going to be on this journey, right? And yep. a big part of it was discovering how my childhood was a contribution to what had happened to me in my adulthood. I wasn't living for me. I was living for other people because mm -hmm. of cultural conditioning. Yep. I was living, doing things out of alignment because I was more concerned about what other people are going to think about me. I was responsible for everyone else's feelings and denying myself. So I'd essentially abandoned myself um, and I was living my life feeling like I'm not good enough. So I was looking for that validation from other people that I am. I felt like I wasn't worthy. I wasn't lovable and I wasn't important. And a lot of this stemmed from what I'd experienced in my childhood, yeah. um, generational trauma. Yeah. And also my brother was born... Um, he was born 11 weeks early okay. and um, 18 months before me. So my mom had so much dysregulation at the time and all of that had affected me. I grew up thinking that my brother was loved more than me and that my parents gave him more attention. So all of these things, I'd made a story in my mind that mm. I'm just not good enough. So I was looking for someone else to make me feel good enough. Mm. And when you go into relationships looking for others to make you feel good enough, you get taken advantage of. Mm. And you do, you surrender yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's two things I want to pick up on. Your your healing journey. So can you tell me how you kind of started that journey? Because it's not easy. Like, as you said, it is a lifelong thing. We constantly heal. Like something came up for me last week that I had to go through and I hid away for two days because I needed to deal with it. Um, but how did it start for you? I think it started with just one person listening to me because when I was going through what I was going through I felt really unheard people were telling me what to do they were telling me where I should be living what I should be saying where how I should be acting right wow. um, rather than actually listening to what I was going through yeah. and there was a lot of self-blame where I thought well it must be my fault you know I should have just been more supportive and I should have just denied myself even more mm. um, I was already giving 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 I had nothing left to give and I think for me, one person just listening to me really helped me to then reach out and understand, okay, I need to speak to someone. Yeah. I did go down the traditional counseling route. Um, yeah. yeah. And I found with that, that it was very mind-based. It helped. Yep. Me. It did. I, I, I'm an advocate for any type of talking therapy because it helps, but it helped me for a minute and then I'd go home and just feel worse sometimes bringing up trauma mm. to the past or how I was feeling. 
And that's when I discovered that actually trauma is held in our body. Yes. And 100%. a somatic approach. Um, so it led me to different types of healing, energy healing, um, somatic healing, coupled with talking therapy and all different aspects um, led me to brain spotting and yep. anything that I found helpful is what I now use. Mm. So I've trained in all these aspects because they're the things that I found helpful. Yeah. But anyone that's feeling alone, just reach out to somebody. Yeah. Anything that helps you or anyone that listens, it's not about wanting to advice all the time, right? Sometimes it's just <laughs> someone to listen to you, validate yeah. your feeling, especially when you've been in an abusive relationship. You just need someone to say, I hear you. Mm. I understand why you feel that way. Mm. That would be the first thing I'd recommend. Yeah, um, I completely agree with that. Right. So there's been times in my life where I've been. Wow, absolutely. In like in this downward spiral and then I'll ring somebody or somebody will reach out to me and I'll just want to talk and release. But they want to just be like, but you have a really good life. Uh, you've got your own home, your own car, your own, you know, you've got beautiful people around you. I'm like, yes, but that's not that isn't helping right now. Like, it's great to have all these people around me, but I'm alone, right? And that's that's the kind of trajectory that I've been on before. And yeah, sometimes all you do want is somebody to hold space for you. So would you um, say that your healing journey kind of was the start of your spiritual awakening? Yeah, yeah. I think when I went through what I went through, I did lose some of my faith um, yeah. because I believed in a lot of things. I had so much faith, but people were also saying, you know, you'd go to spiritual people and they'd say, oh, no, no, things are going to work out, you know. Mm. Like you'd go to astrologers and they'd say one thing and say this. And I had so much faith that I actually had to let go of all of that. Right. Go on a journey that worked for me. Okay. What is my spiritual journey? That's what I needed to find. And actually my spiritual journey is... Yes, I am religious and I do believe in God, but I also believe in the power of the universe. Yes. And my spiritual journey became something more general. I don't need to do this fast or do this prayer or do that every single day for something good to happen to me. I just need to go within Yeah. to just focus on what works for me. And my spiritual journey for me, even now, is what do I need in the moment every day? Mm. Not so what I've been told. Yeah. So you're really listening um, to your intuition, what's coming up for you. Right. Yeah. I think, I, yeah, I completely agree with you because I am on that same trajectory. You know, I am, I have a religion. I'm a Hindu by birth, but my journey, yes, I don't disregard my religion or my culture or anything like that, but the power of the universe, the power of the divine and just God in general has become my kind of spiritual journey. Yeah. And I think, no matter where you are right like I'm a Hindu yeah I had a had to sit in my son's church service for a school recently yeah and actually the messages in there were really resonating yeah and I just thought it's all one yeah you know so I prefer to to call it the universe um yeah. obviously I have my spiritual beliefs and my religious beliefs but I like it to be whatever I need in the moment Mm. so okay let's go back to this word narcissist it's a word that seems to be thrown around a lot at the moment it's like the world has created a new word and all of a sudden everyone's a narcissist and we're going oh 
you're a narcissist, I see narcissism in you. Can you explain to us what a narcissist is, please? I can, but before I start to explain this, I do want to say to people that you might think, oh my God, I do that or I do this. Mm-hmm. Um, you might think, am I a narcissist myself? Because we all have a narcissism part of us. It can be a healthy trait, but some people, these parts become abusive as a result of their upbringing and they start lacking empathy, self-awareness, compassion. But narcissists are stereotypically portrayed as somebody who like loves themselves. Um, right. you know, somebody's always taking selfies and in the mirror. And that's why I wanted to put that little bit in because that is a definition of narcissism. You know, wanting to feel important, needing admiration, attention, wanting success and love. We all want that, it's normal. Can I stop you there for one second? Yeah. Then doesn't that mean that literally we are all narcissists because we are using social media in that way? We put up our best life, we want the admiration, we want the likes, we want business out of it, for example. So that is where it's healthy. Do you right. see, obviously that can become toxic as well yeah. um, when you get obsessed, obsessive over it. Yeah. But narcissism is different. That is a part of us. It's a narcissistic person. Mm-hmm. That is strongly categorized by abusive traits, you know, where they may be obnoxious, arrogant, difficult. They don't necessarily need to have a narcissistic personality disorder diagnosis. So with the diagnosis, according to like the DSM-5, the manual, um, these are extremes of grandiose behavior, like Mm -hmm. where everything has to be about them, Mm -hmm. looking excessively to others for praise and admiration um they believe they're special exceptional superior like they have a sense of entitlement that they're better than others people are below them they okay. exploit others they take advantage yes. they control others for their own needs you know they lack empathy mm-hmm. um, and self-awareness mm-hmm. so they don't recognize how their behavior affects other people they're arrogant they believe that others are envious of them and want to be like them but also they are envious of other people being better than them Mm. they're preoccupied like with fantasies of success power brilliance beauty or perfection yeah like everything has to be like really over exaggerated I guess but we don't need a diagnosis and that's why I don't like focusing on what a narcissist is I prefer to focus on the way a victim feels if they've been in a narcissistic relationship because a narcissist isn't going to go into like to a psychiatrist and say diagnose me because they don't see that they're the problem they shift the blame onto other people so that's why I don't focus too much on the narcissist I'd like to focus more on the way they make you feel yeah so on that note um I believe I've come across narcissists when trying to date for example so one of the things that I think I mean I don't know if this is true but love bombing um to me I feel like if you are getting love bombed that much like flowers dinners hotels being taken out you know right at the beginning is that is that a way a narcissist would like pull you in to that relationship yeah they essentially pick up on your wounds and they try and make you feel like you are the best thing on this earth they Mm. put you on a pedestal 
Yeah. And they make you feel really, really good with their behaviors. So if you feel like, oh, you know, I'm lacking attention. I want attention. They come and give you all this attention. Mm. You know, you wake up with all the good morning texts and the, the million texts a day and the good nights and like the seven hour conversations in the beginning of a relationship. And then it makes you feel amazing. Literally, yeah. my jaws just dropped right now, guys. If you're not watching this, I just literally went, oh my God. Okay, carry on. This is yeah. excellent. Yeah, it just makes you feel really, really good when they've, they say like, you know, I'll drive two hours to you. I don't want you to go out of your way. You know, it's raining. I want to pick you up. All of this stuff makes you feel really, really good. So yes. what you do is you miss the red flags of it. You get so preoccupied on the way they make you feel. They essentially become your drug. Mm. And then you want more and more of that. And then what happens is they take it away from you when they start abusing you because it's not maintainable, right? You can't sustain that those flowers on every day and it's just not doable. But then what you start to feel like is, oh, they're taking that attention away from me now. They've given me everything and now they're starting to take it away and then they devalue you. Yeah. So the first stage of the abuse cycle is love bombing. Right. Okay, let me stop you there then again. How do you know if someone's genuine then in the dating space? Because I, as a single girl now, um, how would I know if someone's genuinely doing nice things for me or if it's just they're love bombing me? So when you're attuned with yourself, your gut will tell you. Mm. Yeah. Like Mm. you will know, okay, this makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. This is a bit too much too soon. Okay. That's, you know, like if someone turns up or they ask you on the second date to, be your girlfriend you know or they tell you like oh I see a future with you how can you know that with someone on a second date yeah like or they start to mirror your behavior just because you said in the first date that you like I don't know you like watching EastEnders and then they go and watch all the episodes and they've got something to talk to you about it whereas Uh, they've got no interest in it yeah I've had that I've had that on a second date the guy was yeah. like, you know, this is what I'm looking for. And obviously he'd picked up that I want to get married and I want to have children and I want a family and this and the other. And I want someone to kind of be there for me because, you know, I've been there for myself my whole life. And he picked up on all of those. And luckily it only lasted three weeks. So I'm really thankful. Um, but wow, you just blow my mind, Misha. So the first step is love bombing. Yeah. And the next step is taking that away. So I've heard a stat um that that love bombing can continue anywhere between three months and a year to really get you in and then it's like they flip it but what do you think is a narcissist's purpose as in like what do they want so they want to run away from their wounds that they're feeling they have deep traumas where deep down inside they actually do feel like they aren't good enough Mm. so they're seeking that admiration that validation everything they do is because they want others to admire them because they've got these deep wounds but those wounds are too painful for them to visit which is why they spend their whole lives trying to run away from them whereas we call it codependency but if you are just a true codependent you're going to have those wounds but you're going to give your love to feel good about yourself whereas narcissists take love or they take from people right So if you're a giver, like I know for me, I used to be, I'm now a healed codependent, but I used to be somebody who would just give, 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 because I didn't feel good enough. I was like Mm -hmm. a people pleaser. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give to everyone. So I feel good about myself. And then narcissists take, take, take. So you end up becoming a magnet to them. Yeah. You just take, 
Well, you give, 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 they take, take, take. Yeah. It's like a match made in heaven, right? But what eventually happens is you run out of more to give. Yeah. You keep give, give, giving, and then you've got nothing left to give. So you essentially lose yourself in the process. Mm. And then they go either dump you and find that supply elsewhere, or they become even more powerful because they can control you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I've heard about this word supply. What does that mean? So narcissistic supply is what they take from others Mm -hmm. to make them feel good about themselves. Right. So that supply doesn't have to just come from others. It can come from things as well, like gambling addictions, um, alcohol, you know, any form of supply is to make a narcissist numb the wounds that they've got, Mm. run away from the wounds that they've got. Okay. Wow. And also just to confirm with everybody out there, a narcissistic relationship isn't necessarily, obviously we've spoken about dating, but isn't necessarily um, a, ma- a male, female or a dating relationship, is it? Because yeah. I've had that in friendships as well that have lasted a long, like decades. And then I've just had to kind of, I ran out of giving and I just went, I'm done, right? Yeah. And it can be with a parent, it can be with friends, it can be with anyone really, even a boss, right? Yeah, colleagues, siblings, um, teachers, Parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It can be like my son has experienced it in school. Oh. Yeah. So it can be from any trusting relationship that you form. So if you form a relationship where you trust somebody and you're vulnerable with them and you share information, they can take advantage of it. So it can form in any type of relationship. Mm. Yeah. Even with like siblings, cousins, your own child. your own child yeah. as in your own child could be a narcissist or the other way around yeah both I mean you won't yeah your own child can become a narcissist if for example a child has been brought up thinking that they're absolutely perfect you've given them so much love right. and attention and praise you know they're always going to expect that everything is about them so as they get older those children then control their parents okay so that happens a lot in our culture, but with boys. Yes. Yeah. And it is generally you find there's more male narcissists in our culture because they've been brought up thinking that they're special. Like, so, I mean, this this isn't the case with me and my brother because everything was very equal. I mean, mm. even now, you know, if he washes up, I have to, to dry. Yeah. <laughs> so with males... When you think about it traditionally, right? Let's think about my parents' generation, our parents' generation. Yeah. The man is very likely to be sitting there while the woman is in the kitchen looking after the kids and doing everything. The man's job is to be served. Yeah. So they He's are. He's a Raja, isn't he? He's a proper Raja. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Yeah. Traditionally, that's what it yeah. is. You know, the man's job is to be served and just provide, whereas the woman has to do everything else. But financially, she's reliant on the man. Mm because he provides for her so that's financial control you know physically when the man wants his needs met the woman has to dress how she's told you know she has to deny herself yeah to be what she's wants so she's controlled from the get-go and that's yeah. why we have so many women who deny themselves and end up in these abusive situations and then they 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 lose a sense of self They go from being a daughter who has to serve the parents to being a wife who has to serve the husband to being a mother who has to serve the children. 
Mm. And then being a daughter-in-law who has to serve the in-laws. So interesting. So we're really lucky. So you mentioned something about money, which I'm just going to talk about now. But we're really lucky to be born in a generation where we've had the chance to get education or have jobs and, you know, make our own money. And you mentioned um, that the husband provides, right? And in the last generation, a lot of the ladies, you know, a lot of our mothers, grandmothers, like they weren't able to have that independence, have that money, so they were reliant. So do you think that actually a lot of our grandparents or, you know, grandmothers, grandfather, you know, and et cetera, they had to just deal with the fact that they were stuck in this. There was no way out for them, basically. Yeah. yeah. And there was no way out for them, right? Whether, like, traditionally, they left their families. When they got married, they left their families. And that was it. This became their new family. And they just mm. had to deal with it. Mm. And then the next generation, the daughters grew up watching that. You mm. know, they just have to deal with it. Mm. And then the next generation, it was just passed down and passed down. Mm. Now, obviously, things are changing. Yeah. But just because you earn your own income doesn't mean you can't be financially controlled. Because when you think about things, I have clients who, yeah, they're very successful in that they've earned their own income, yeah. but then they've become mothers and okay. it's not equal anymore, right? They're not now earning as much because it's their job to raise the, the kids. The husband is going to be the provider. And if it's done in a way where it's agreed, okay, I'm going to provide, you're taking time off because childcare is expensive. I'm going to provide but if the woman then has to ask for money to go buy the groceries or, you know, she's financially controlled. That's a red flag then. Yeah. And eventually what happens is she's never going to be able to go back to that position of earning that much until her kids are older and she's able to. But by that time, if she's been controlled in every way, she's lost herself. Yeah. So she doesn't believe that she can go out and do that. Mm. But there are obviously healthy relationships where they've come to a mutual agreement that, okay, you're going to look after the kids and I'm going to provide, pay the bills, provide the money whilst you're doing that because I know you mm. can't financially contribute. But then if that husband then comes home, puts his feet up on the sofa and acts like his wife has done nothing all day, God. doesn't, you know, like doesn't have that empathy to say, like I've seen it before where they've come home and it's like, why is the house a mess? Why is... Why is there toys everywhere? It's yeah. Like, as if the woman, because she's been home all day, you know, she's got the time to just be able to do that. If they haven't got the empathy to be able to understand, the relationship becomes controlled. Mm. The woman feels like she's not good enough. Yeah. So I know you've mentioned it kind of partly throughout this conversation, but like how would someone be able to spot narcissistic traits or a narcissist early so on? <laughs> Yeah, I think it has to be with being in tune with yourself. Okay. Like, you know, in the beginning, your gut will tell you, like your gut probably would have told you when you had that friendship yeah. in the beginning. But if you weren't in tune with yourself, you would have carried on. You would have listened to your head. You know, yeah. you would have been thinking, okay, but I need to, I need to make myself likable. I need to make, try harder with this friend, you know, and you make would her happy yeah that kind of thing yeah. yeah yeah so the best way is to be in tune with yourself which is why we all need to do the work we all need to do our work on ourselves so we can be in tune obviously it's good to educate yourself on the red flags as well that we spoke about you know things like love bombing are they just talking about themselves how do they talk about other people 
How do they talk about their relationship with their parents, with their friends? How are they when you go out? How do they treat the waiter? You know, that's a good one. Yeah. Even like feeling like they're entitled to parking. I don't know. The disabled bay. Yes. You know. Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter. Just or parking in the parent and child when they don't have a kid. It's they feel like, oh, it's fine. I own the roads. I can do that. So looking at the way that they're behaving and also the way they make you feel, if you feel uncomfortable, then Mm. that person isn't safe for your nervous system. Your nervous system is picking up on the way that person's making you feel. It's picking up on a threat. Yeah. They're not your safe person, basically. And you don't want to be in a relationship with someone who feels unsafe. Yeah. So you mentioned not safe for your nervous system. What happens to your nervous system? Um, Are there any, is there anything that you could like, you know, talk to us about obviously like heart raising or swear or just you know can you just take us through like the physical elements of say your nervous system not feeling safe there are hundreds but um your heart rate anxiety Mm -hmm. your heart rate speeding up you know palpitations sweating things like that if you're around someone and they're making you feel nervous that's completely normal to a certain extent because you are going to feel nervous on a first date right like you might overthink you might think am I saying the right thing that is quite normal yeah but then as you're around this person if you're feeling dysregulated where you're starting to feel like you're not good enough if they're making you feel like uncomfortable where you're starting to maybe your gut is starting to feel that tightness you know it's so different for other people but your body keeps the score so your body picks up on everything our senses yeah our senses are sending the signals to our body and if we don't know what it feels like for me for example I'd always been in a dysregulated state so for me it was just like you know I felt like it was feeling safe because I didn't know what feeling safe actually felt like so for me getting all that love and attention made me feel like oh my god I feel really safe because I've never received this in the way that I needed it Mm. so that felt safe for me but actually that was a red flag in itself Mm, interesting so does a narcissist know that they're a narcissist um generally no because they don't have that Mm self-awareness some of them might recognize that they are this way but they will shift the blame but majority of the time they don't they're not very likely to to look at the traits of a narcissist and say i have that they're Mm. more likely to shift the blame onto other people Mm. so there's no point you then telling a narcissist they're a narcissist because they're just going to get abusive. Mm. They're going to deny it. They're going to say you're a narcissist. And then very, a lot of the times they're really clever, right? They will do the research and they will use that to on you basically. Okay. You know, like they'll come into a date and be like, Oh yeah, I once dated a narcissist. So that makes uh, them feel like, ah, okay, well they can't be a narcissist because they're yeah. 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 So, yeah. That's amazing. So like, I actually heard a conversation once where it, they said, I think it was on radio and they said something along the lines of, if someone is questioning if they're a narcissist, then they're not one. Yeah, it is true in a sense that if you're questioning whether you're a narcissist, you've got self-awareness. Yeah. That self-awareness to be able to actually look at your own behavior and see how it affects others. Mm. But you've got to remember that narcissists are emotional manipulators. Right. So they can use that in a conversation as well so we can't just go by what's being said actions speak louder than the words amazing amazing so we spoke about what the nervous system feels like 
around say a narcissist or someone you're not you don't feel safe with now you told us about earlier that you had certain tools and practices somatics you know release methods can you take us through two or three that maybe if someone is right now going through something similar to what we've been discussing on this call uh, on this podcast um that they can use today just to try and regulate their nervous system i can um Mm -hmm. but i do want to explain that with the nervous system Mm -hmm. it is about building vagal tone so the flexibility for your nervous system to be able to take you from feeling stuck to feeling safe yeah yep. so that dysregulation it's it's a hierarchy okay. so we need to move from that freeze into that fight flight then we can move into our ventral vagal which helps us to feel safe and regulated so you can do these exercises yeah but they might give you some momentarily relief And then you might go back to feeling stuck again because it has to be something that builds flexibility in your nervous system over time. And it has to be a holistic approach. We have to then talk about the triggers and the things that are making you feel this way as well. But one of the easiest ones that I would say is to utilize your breath. So Mm -hmm. when you are in a state of fight flight, the sympathetic trauma response or stress response, that activation is your body picking up on cues of threat. So it, thinks like for example you're in the jungle um and there's a lion there and it's preparing your body to run away or to fight the danger so if you're on a date and someone's making you feel uncomfortable your heart rate is going to start speeding up because your body is pumping that oxygen around your body to get you ready to run away or to fight but obviously we can't do that you know we have to sit there and we have to figure out a way of getting out of there safely so what we want to do is we want to notice our breath. If your breath is from your chest, then you are very likely to be in a sympathetic response the majority of the time. Mm -hmm. Your body is picking up or your brain is sending more cues of threat or danger to your body. So it's keeping you in that heightened activated state. So consciously breathing and slowing down that breath is a tool that you can utilize. You don't need anything to do this. I like to use the five to eight method mm-hmm. where we elongate the outer breath yeah. compared to the inner breath. And I like to do it from a in through the nose, hold for two and then out through the mouth. So what we're doing is we are consciously overriding that shallow rapid breath that we take from our chest, breathing in through the nose for five, yeah, holding for two, and out through the mouth for eight. Yeah. Hold out through the mouth. And if it's safe enough for you, then when you're breathing out, you can do a big sigh, a big sigh of relief. Because what that does is it just releases that tension that you hold on to. That vagal nerve, it goes like into our ears, our jaw, our throat you know, into our lungs and our breathing, like tension in your shoulders and stuff. Does it start at your ears? Is that correct? Have I got that correct? Or is that... Or it, I, I, yeah, I think it does from my knowledge. Yeah, at the back, doesn't it? Like, and it yeah, goes all the, the way back down. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, it. that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. yeah. And it like goes down your spinal cord. Mm. So consciously breathing is a tool that you can utilise. Um, that is very good when you're in your fight flight. But if you are in your dorsal vagal, which is your freeze response, 
then your conscious breathing may not necessarily help you. What we then want to do is we want to recognize that when we're in a freeze response, our parasympathetic nervous system needs a reset. Mm. So that's when I like to use, there is something called VU breathing, which is vibrating that larynx. I think we did that. We've done that, yes, haven't we? Yeah. I, yes, we did yeah. that um, at the CEO day. But yeah. I think an, one that I actually like doing is cold water. Yes. So putting your face in a bowl of cold water can really help to kind of shock your nervous system. It activates that vagus nerve, the parasympathetic branch of your nervous system. Mm. And it allows you to basically come back to the present moment. Amazing. So whenever we are going into our trauma responses, we're not in the present moment anymore. Our body is picking up on that threat or danger. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it comes from our past experiences. Mm. So when you find yourself dwelling on the past or thinking about the future, you put your face in a bowl of cold water, you know, that is going to bring you back to the present moment. Don't do that if you have a heart condition though. Yeah. Um, obviously you have to make sure and check out that it's okay for you to do that. And it doesn't mm. have to be a bowl of cold water. It can just be putting a cold flannel on your face that can also okay. help you. Yeah. Or cold yeah. shower, would that work as well? Cold shower would work, but yeah. that's a lot harder. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's a lot harder to, to utilize, especially like because it involves having to have a shower and sometimes you can splash cold water on your face even if you're at work. Okay. Um, or just put a bit of cold on your face. Like the kind of part at the top of your cheekbone, under your eyes, you know, yeah. like when you wear those gel pads and they mm. just give you that cooling relief. Um, that's the kind of area that we want to focus on. Okay. But being in the present moment is going to allow your brain to send signals of safety. Okay. In the here and now. Yeah. So a technique I like to use with that is the five, four, three, two, one. Mm, yeah. Where we look for five things around us. Mm-hmm. We're bringing our nervous system back to the here and now by focusing on what's around us. Like if you're going for a walk and you're listening to a podcast, you're not noticing what's around you. You're not in the present moment. Yep. So noticing, what can you see around you? You know, what are you feeling in your body? Mm -hmm. What does your bum feel like on your chair? Your feet feel like on the ground? Or pick something up, you know, like, what does it feel like to move your phone from your left hand to your right hand? What does that feel like? What does your hair feel like? What does your skin Mm. feel like? What are three things you can hear? Yeah. The birds in the sky. Yeah. The traffic in the distance. You know, right now you might hear your laptop buzzing, but yep. you know, you're not aware of that consciously. No. What are two things you can smell? Mm. Especially when you're going outside, right? Like you, we notice those strong smells when there's, you know, dog poo on the ground. But <laughs> are you oh, actually noticing? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, that's your body saying, oh my God, back to the present moment. Yeah. But are you actually noticing, like, for example, when you're walking past those flowers, what they smell like? Bring your awareness back to it. Yeah. What do things that the wind feel like on your face? What can you taste? Mm. Even when we have nothing in our mouth, we can still taste something when we're consciously aware of it. Yeah. To bring yeah. your nervous system back to the present moment. I love this exercise. I use it on my clients all the time and I get them to kind of go on what I call mindful walks and no podcast, no phone, just go for a walk, notice yeah. things and give them yeah. this five four three two one exercise and I think it's such a beautiful exercise to do okay so we are gonna have to wrap up soon but I have two more questions for you the first one 
Right. If someone is in a relationship or a friendship or some kind of a ship with a narcissist, how do they start getting out of that without maybe causing a disruption? Yeah. So the first thing is obviously to get support. Mm-hmm. because when you're trying to do something like that you are filled with self-blame and then that guilt we're conditioned to just have that guilt right I yeah. can't break it off you know and then you feel bad like maybe I shouldn't break it off and then you doubt yourself so getting support is really really helpful and also recognizing how to do it in a way that's going to be safe for you mm-hmm. so sometimes setting a boundary might be telling the other person look I just need time for me right now I need to focus on myself this is getting too much for me or clearly this friendship isn't working, let's go our own ways. Yeah, let's have some time to focus on us. Mm -hmm. If it is a relationship, then you Mm -hmm. do need to have an exit plan as such. Right. If you're financially reliant on this person, you need to know how you're going to survive, how you're going to provide for yourself, where are you going to live if you're stuck in that situation? It's really helpful to get support, to have someone to validate you, and obviously to do it in a way that's going to feel right for you um I saw a post earlier where someone had said that they tried gray rocking their husband gray rocking is a method that we use where you essentially take out like you get very used to oversharing Mm -hmm. when you're in a relationship with someone who's quite manipulative and abusive you get used to oversharing because it's like oh I need to tell them everything I'm doing because otherwise I'm going to get told off for not sharing that I'm back home or that I went to meet this person they they could basically get it out of you yeah they do this person was like, well, I've been grey rocking. I've not been giving them any attention. I've not been responding to their manipulation. But when you're living with someone, that's just going to make the other person more angry. Right. So if you're using very like short answers or silent treatment and stuff like that, it's going to make them more angry. So grey right. rocking is really good if you are wanting to end a relationship with somebody who's a bit more at a distance. Things like one word answers, yes, no, I'll think about it, you know, okay, maybe, um, thank you. Like not taking too much interest in the other person Mm -hmm. where there's no rhetorical questions. Okay, It's very formal. You start writing in a very formal way, like like a solicitor, right? Or a teacher. Um, So that is a method that can be used. But if you're still in that relationship, sometimes it doesn't always... It, it causes more aggravation sometimes it doesn't always go as planned so it does have to be thought out and you do have to be kind of one step ahead mm. so that's why I always say you want to get support in that kind of relationship you can also be trauma bonded yeah where you become addicted to the way the person makes you feel which is why it's even more important to have that support because otherwise you end up going back you end up seeing like I this is how it was described to me. I was told I was living in a bubble okay. you know, because I still wanted to be with someone who I thought I loved, who wasn't treating me well, who was with someone else. And oh I was gosh. still thinking, Oh my God, I want to be on this person with this person. They've cheated on me, but I still had this false hope mm. because what happens is you become trauma bonded to that person. Your brain, it's a cycle, like a physiological addiction to the way they make you feel. You feel like you need them to survive. So it makes it hard to really leave that relationship, which is why you need that support from people who are going to listen, who are able to say they're not good for you. Look at what they're doing to you. Look at how they're treating you. You need help with it's like having 
a substance abuse addiction. You need support. Yeah. So don't be afraid to reach out for help. Okay. And um, you mentioned like kind of that grey rocking, uh, which is a term I've never heard, um, and like doing the one word answers and stuff. And I'm assuming that when you start doing that, like they start looking for supply elsewhere because you're not giving that to them. Yeah. Or they How do you abuse. stop a narcissist looking for supply? How do you stop a narcissist in his tracks? Or can you not? You can't. You can't. Okay. Yeah. You Essentially, if the narcissist is going to look for supply elsewhere because you're not giving them what they need, you're never going to be able to give that to them. Mm. They have a, a constant need for supply. Okay. So it never runs out. You know, they'll move from one person to the next to the next or one addiction to the next to the next to the next because their goal is just to run away from the, that deep, dark trauma that they're feeling. So you can't help them to heal. If you are codependent, you go into a fix it mode. Yeah. You know, I need to help them and what happens is they become your focus and you lose focus of yourself and the way you're feeling yeah so that's why it's really important to have that that support so someone can say to you well you can't change them but you can work on the way that you're feeling and also to spot those signs as well where you're taking responsibility for them and their behaviors Mm. actions emotions Mm. wow Misha what a conversation it's been pretty deep so I'm gonna end on a high and then we can just put your socials out there. But give me five things about your life you love right now. Oh, that's really nice. Um, <laughs> I love the freedom that I have mm-hmm. to be able to live my life my terms. I love the things I'm manifesting for myself and my children. I love that I've been able to go on this journey of healing so I can break generational cycles and raise my children in a different way. Um I love my work and my clients and just that I'm able to see the positivity in the world. Um, And I do love, I love the connections that I'm making. I love how when you go on this healing journey, you attract your vibe, attract your tribe, right? And the more that you raise your vibration, or you attract people who are amazing and supportive, especially if you've been used to, like me, attracting toxic people, now being in this stage where I just attract the most incredible people like yourself in my life and I just love it it's incredible Misha look you have gone from being in a narcissistic relationship to a survivor of narcissism and now you are literally thriving and living your life helping other women through this dark path and showing them that is that there is life and light at the end of that tunnel so I can only thank you for the work you do so tell us how people can get hold of you if they want your help in helping themselves kind of go towards that incredible life that is in front of them so my social media handles are at therapy with Misha m-i-s-h-a um and my website is www.therapywithmisha.com I do offer a free 30-minute consultation for anyone that um would like to talk about getting some support um but i do share a lot of information like the things that we've talked about as well on my social media platforms so things about narcissism trauma the nervous system and healing as well incredible well this was a really informative deep brown girl rising podcast um and i love it because i get to talk to people like you and just go a little bit deeper on these sessions um so guys thank you very much for your time misha thank you very much for yours 
if you guys want to follow me it is i am unlimited urvashi and browngirl.rising um we have our next sister circle on the 5th of november in marlow so do join us if you are ready to release receive and open your heart with love i will see you on the next podcast see you later